if you do have a Bible with you, please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 4. For those of you just joining us for the first time uh, this morning, uh, we do like to preach through books of the Bible uh, here in this church family. I'm now preaching through the book of Acts. Uh, the, the book of Acts tells the story of what happened right after Jesus ascended back to heaven. So Jesus came to earth, lived, died, rose again to pay for the sins of the world. He ascended back to heaven. And the book of Acts then gives us the facts that took place over the next 35 years or so as the original apostles then went out to tell the world about Jesus. So we're now in Acts chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 23. We'll be reading through verse 31, Acts 4, 23. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Well, Father, we just uh, sang a song here about uh, the way you speak, that we want you to speak, Lord. And we know that the primary way you speak is in and through your word. And I do pray, Father, we would have a church that loves your word, a church that lives in your word, a church that feeds on your word. So many people in this world would say they are Christians and are never in the word. Do not know what the word says about you. Father, please don't let uh, this church be that. Pray, Father, you give us a heart for your word, a love for your word. You, you say in the Bible that it is through your word that you save us. That we are to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. And it is through your word that you also sanctify us. Jesus, you prayed, Father, sanctify them in your truth, and your word is truth. So, Father, I just pray that you give us a heart of love for your word. And we pray now, as we open your word, that you would help us to receive it. Father, there are things in our hearts that fight against your word. Things in our, our minds, our, our darkened minds that fight against your word. And I do pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to receive and rest in your word this morning. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'll just set this passage up a little bit here. You know, there is one thing in, in history that Christians have experienced frequently. And that is the rage of nations. People just raging at times against Christians. Fury, anger, wrath. It, it, it's not always a full-blown rage that Christians will experience. It can be milder forms of rage, just verbal uh, uh, abuse in some way, or things that are written about Christians. But, but this rage can be full-blown at times. Christians tortured, uh, martyred, and, and so on. We are seeing an increase in rage against Christians in China right now. Uh, Steve Childers, a professor at my seminary, has a good friend in China, Pastor Wang Yi. I have a couple pictures here. That's Steve Childers and Pastor Wang Yi. Here's another picture of Wang Yi preaching in his church. And the final picture there is a shot of Wang Yi's church there in China. And just seven days ago, Wang Yi was arrested. The following day, police returned to the church, detained 200 other Christians, including children, and removed what some people have estimated to be 50,000 Christian books 
from the Christian library that they were trying to pass out to, to people in, in China. Just this increased heat in China now, which has actually forced a couple of our own Chinese missionaries back home for a time. And that's just one example in history of the rage of nations against Christians. And, and when this rage does come, how, how should Christians interpret the rage? How, how should we understand it? What should we do when, when the rage does come? And God helps us with that here in Acts chapter 4. This passage in Acts 4, it is the conclusion of a story that began in Acts 3. Back in Acts 3, Peter and John, two of Christ's apostles, they healed a crippled man at the temple in Jerusalem, which drew a big crowd, and Peter then preached to the crowd about Christ, which angered the Jewish religious leaders at the temple there. And in the passage right before the one we'll read today, they imprisoned Peter and John. They, they threatened and warned them to stop preaching Christ and then release them knowing they couldn't do anything more with them at the time. And this passage is now the conclusion of that story. The early Christians have now just tasted their very first rage after the ascension of Christ. And in this passage here, we see how the early Christians interpreted, how they understood the rage, and what they did when the rage came. Let's go ahead and read it. When Peter and John were released from prison, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The first taste of the rage of nations in the book of Acts, and, and that's still a reality for Christians today. This story here, this is our story. We will face it as well, and God teaches us there, I believe, how to interpret, understand the rage, and what we should do when the rage comes. We can learn four different things here, I believe, about the rage of nations. And the first thing we learn here, point number one, Rage is promised. Rage is promised for God's people. Luke 
who wrote Acts, he says there in verse 23 that Peter and John, now released from prison, they went directly to their friends in, in Jerusalem. Have you ever come through some, some frightening life or death situation? And you come out of that thing and all you want to do is be with the people who love you and, and, and whom you love. I was in a rafting trip when I was young, just with my parents, very young, and it got really rough at the very end of the day, very dark. All of our rafts overturned, and, and, and my brother, my sister, and I came very close to drowning, very miraculous the way we didn't drown. And I can tell you what, being pulled out of that river, all I wanted to do was to be with my family. You just want to be with your friends and your loved ones. And I'm telling you what, this situation for Peter and John had probably been pretty terrifying. Just two months earlier, these same religious leaders that had arrested them, well, these leaders had arrested Jesus and killed him. And Peter and John were probably thinking they're in prison that they would be killed too. But God helped them to stand strong and release. Now they head straight for their Christian friends and they tell them what the leaders said. All the threats and the warnings that these leaders had given to them. And, and what do these Christians then do when they hear about all these threats and warnings? You know, they could have fled the city at this time. Man, it is time to head for the hills. And, and you know, there is a time for, for Christians to, to flee persecution. Uh, Jesus, back in Matthew 23, he had said this to these disciples. He said, when they persecute you disciples in one town, flee to the next. And you know, these disciples will flee Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8 when Stephen is stoned. But they don't flee yet. No, the first thing they do here is pray. They lift their voices together, Luke says, to God. And one thing that they say very clearly in this prayer here, they say that this rage was promised by God. Let's just walk through the prayer here for a second. If you look at the middle of the prayer, or the middle of verse 24, prayer starts with this. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And I've said before that the prayers in the Bible, the written prayers, they often contain a little bit of adoration or praise to God. You know, many Christians today, when they pray, all they do is ask for things from God. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give God. And these Christians will ask for something from God, but they start with this line of praise or adoration, just exalting God and reminding themselves who God is, that He is the Creator. Of all things. And these Christians then, they quote here from an Old Testament psalm. Man, it is just so good to pray the scriptures in your prayers. If you don't know what to pray, grab the scriptures, turn them into your own words, and just pray them back to God. And these Christians here, they grab something from an Old Testament psalm, and they pray it back to God. If you look at verse 25, you, Lord, who created all things, well... Through the mouth of our father David, your servant, you said, God, by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And just leave that on the screen for a second. 
that right there is a quote from Psalm 2, which God originally spoke through King David some 1,000 years before this event right here. And David, back there in Psalm 2, he was prophesying. He, he, he was looking forward to some time in history when the Gentiles would rage. And the Hebrew word for Gentiles back in Psalm 2 could be translated as nations. He was looking forward to some time when the nations would rage and the peoples would plot in vain. The kings of the earth would set themselves. The rulers of the earth would gather together against the Lord God and against his anointed Messiah. And man, these early Christians here, they know now they're looking back at the death of Christ. It's already happened. And they know here at this time that Psalm 2 was ultimately a prophecy about the death of Christ. You look at verse 27. They just apply that psalm directly to Jesus now. They say, for truly God, in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So, you, you, you just think about what's going on here. All of this rage that they have recently witnessed against Christ in the crucifixion, they are standing here in this prayer, and they're saying, you promised it would happen, God. Back in Psalm 2. You, you, you promised this would happen. That the nations would rage against your anointed, against your Messiah. But man, I'm telling you what. Here's the thing these Christians also understood. God hadn't just promised a rage against Christ. But God had also promised a rage against against Christ's followers. Jesus himself, when he was still with these disciples here, when he was still on this earth, Jesus told them directly, John 15, 20, he said this, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That is a direct promise from Jesus, God in human flesh, a promise that all of his followers would be persecuted. The nations would not just rage against Jesus, but they would also rage against Christ's followers. And now that these early Christians here, now that they've tasted their first bit of rage in the book of Acts, they go right to Psalm 2 in prayer you promised, O oh God, that this rage would come against your anointed. And it has come, O oh God, against your anointed Messiah and against his anointed followers. We have now just tasted the rage of nations. You promised we would. And please, please hear me. This promise that God made. That, 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 that Christ and his followers would, would, would taste rage at times, that promise still applies today. It applies to Christ's followers today. One thing 
that God has explicitly promised to you, Christian, as a follower of Christ, is the rage of nations. Persecution, anger. Jesus looks at you, Christian, and he speaks all kinds of wonderful blessings over you, and he says, you will be persecuted. As I was persecuted. And you know what that means? The persecution of Christians in this world whether it happens to you, Christian, or, or whether, whether it happens to someone else, it should not shock you. It should not shock you when it happens. The rage we see in China right now, God promised. The rage we saw from ISIS, beheading Christians, God promised the subtler forms of rage that you might face, even here in America, whether it's an underlying verbal type of rage just through social media or or something written in in print in, in, in the newspaper, God promised. You know, so many Christians today, when it comes to persecution, they're they're like the guy who listens to the next day's forecast and hears that it's going to be cold and snowy and then they walk outside in shorts and sunscreen and say what's this god didn't promise that we would always have warm and sunny days on the contrary he promised that we would have very stormy weather when it actually comes you should not be shocked by that persecution by that rage that's one thing we learn here rage is promise Point number two, rage is predestined. Rage is predestined. God doesn't just promise that the rage will come. No, before the foundation of the world, God actually predestined, predetermined, foreordained, God decreed that rage would come. If you look at verse 27 again, they just apply Psalm 2 to Jesus, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now now that right there, It's easy to just read over that and say, I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. But when you preach through the Bible, you touch it. (laughs) You have to. That is a mind-blowing statement. Our little finite pea brains find it very difficult to understand what's going on right there. These early Christians just said that all the rage against Christ... Everything these evil people did to Christ... They did it, and I quote, they did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And the Greek word there could be translated as predetermined, foreordained, decreed, decided beforehand. Every last bit of the rage against Christ 
was decided beforehand, foreordained, decreed by God himself. By God himself. And we see a very similar statement in Acts 2.23. Peter said this to the Jews who killed Jesus. This Jesus delivered up to die according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, now, now just, just stop for a second and consider that. The rage against Christ came through the hands of lawless men, but it was all according to the definite, predetermined, predestined plan of God. Calvary, the cross, it was not some sort of accident. It, well, it wasn't some sort of chance, random circumstance. Evil didn't just happen to win that day. The, the, the devil didn't just kind of slip one in on God when, when God wasn't looking. Oh no, God was the author of the cross. The preordained plan of God to the very detail. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, The cross an accident? The cross a surprise? The cross something that might not have happened and that need not have happened? The cross merely something that God uses? No, the cross was planned, foreordained before the world was ever created, before man was ever made. God had planned the death of Christ his son. This is the explanation and these first believers had seen it. They knew. They knew that this rage against Christ was not just promised by God. But actually predestined by God. And here's the thing that is vitally important for all Christians everywhere to understand. Every bit of rage Christ followers experience has also been predestined by God, foreordained, decreed, decided beforehand by God. Please listen to me. The persecution of Christians in this world, it is not just some accident. It is not just by chance or random circumstance. Evil doesn't just happen to win that day. The, the devil doesn't just slip one in on God. No, God is the ultimate author of every cross, both Christ and his followers. A another very simple way to say that, God is sovereign. God is sovereign over everything that takes place on this planet. The Bible's clear and unmistakable claim is that God is absolutely sovereign. Nothing in this universe ultimately happening outside of God's control. Nothing ultimately happening outside of God's sovereign eternal decree. And that includes the rage of nations. It is all somehow part of God's sovereign, eternal, and good plan for this fallen 
world. Now, again, our little finite pea brains trying to work that out, we won't always understand how an infinitely good God could actually predestine persecution as part of His good, eternal plan. But that is what the Bible says. Derek Thomas says this about God's sovereignty. He says, this is a doctrine that is not meant to be understood so much as believed. If you try to get to the end of God's sovereignty, explaining how God does everything and is over all things, including evil, you will never get there. It is not a doctrine to to be understood so much as it is a doctrine that Christians are just supposed to bow to and believe. And these early Christians here believed it. They believed that God was ultimately sovereign over all persecution, both Christ and theirs. They were the ones who were just persecuted. And the second they're persecuted, they go back to Psalm 2 and they said, God, you predestined what happened to Christ. And you know in their minds, they're thinking, God, you predestined what just happened to us as well. They know. Did you catch the way they started their prayer here? These guys just got their first taste of persecution. And look at verse 24 again. They lifted their voices and said, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord who made heaven, earth, the sea, and everything in them. That Greek word there is used just a handful of times in the New Testament, only used twice in Luke and Acts, which Luke wrote. And these Christians, there they go, sovereign Lord. You know what the Greek word is? It's the word despotes. It refers to someone who has absolute control and authority. You know what English word we get from that word despotes? Despot. A ruler with absolute power. You, Lord, are sovereign. Absolute power and authority in this universe. And they go right on then to say, God, you created all things. In heaven and on earth and the seas, everything in them. And then they go on to say, basically, you control all things. You predestined, they say, the rage against Christ. And they also know full well in their minds here that God had also predestined the rage that they had now tasted. And the second they taste the rage here, they turn to the Lord and say, You are sovereign. You are sovereign, O God. You are sovereign, O God. Absolute power and authority. Man, You look at what these Christians are doing here in prayer. They are just filling their minds with truth. They are thinking biblically, thinking theologically about persecution. And and can I encourage you, Christian, to do the same? To think biblically, to think theologically about persecution? You know, many Christians, when it comes to persecution, just don't think biblically. They, they might talk about God's sovereignty over all things at times, but, but the second they then taste a, a, a little rage or, or just hear about some rage in the world, they, they turn on the, the news and they hear about 
Pastor Wang Yi, or, or, or they, they, they hear about ISIS beheading another, another, another Christian, and any talk of God's sovereignty instantly goes out the window, and there's suddenly just nothing but fear. As if the persecution was just sort of random. Chaos, the, the world suddenly spinning out of God's control. And the world never spins outside of, out of God's control. Ever. Sovereign means the world never spins out of, his, out of control. That he is always in control. You know, many Christians, when it comes to persecution, all they can do is talk about the devil. The devil's on the move. Got to resist the devil. Got to, got to fight the devil. And yes, Satan is behind a lot of the persecution. He hates Christ. Hates Christ's followers. And yes, we need to learn how to resist the devil appropriately and biblically. But please hear me on this. The devil is not sovereign. He cannot do anything he wants to do. It is not like God and the devil have equal power and it just duking it out up in the universe and we just hope God wins. No, that is not the biblical picture of God and Satan. The biblical picture is that even the devil is under God's sovereign control. John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, it's an allegory or a, a picture of the Christian life. And at one point in the book, Christian, the main character, he's walking down the, this narrow path on a bridge to a castle, but he then sees two lions on the side of the path. And Christian is absolutely terrified, and he's going to turn back and, and go back home to the city of destruction. But just before he does, a, a man, a, a porter, calls out from the castle, and he says this. He says, fear not the lions, for they are chained. Keep in the midst of the path, no hurt shall come to you. And it's a picture of the devil. The Bible says that the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he, he may devour. The devil does, yes, stir up persecution at times. Yes, the devil even stirs up martyrdom at times against Christians. But that lion is a chained lion. He is under God's sovereign control. He does not do anything that God has not sovereignly ordained. That he would be able to do. And none of Satan's persecutions. That ultimately come against a Christian. They won't ultimately hurt a Christian. In the eternal sense of, of the word. God will simply use that persecution. For the Christian's eternal good. And God will use that persecution. To further his own eternal plan in this world. And please, listen, if all you can do when you hear about persecution, if all you can do is talk about the devil, you are not thinking biblically. And, and do you know what? The devil loves it. Because you are giving him way more glory than he deserves. Acting as if Satan is somehow sovereign. I want you to notice that these Christians here hit with this persecution... They never once mention the devil. They only mention God. You, God, 
are sovereign. You created all things, God. You predestined, God, the, the rage that came against Christ. You predestined the rage that came against us. You know what that can do for you, Christian, if you can remember God's sovereignty when you either taste or, or you just hear about persecution? You know what that can do for you? That can give you great comfort. You might not understand how God could predestine persecution, ordain it, but, but if you can simply believe that truth, if you can simply rest in that truth, that, that God is still sovereign, my God is still on the throne. He has not lost control of the world or of me. He is still in control. You'll find great comfort, stability, peace in persecution. Margaret, Margaret Clarkson wrote a hymn. It goes like this. Oh, Father, you are sovereign in all affairs of man. No powers of death or darkness can thwart your perfect plan. All chance and change transcending, which means all chance and change in this life, God transcends it. He's, he's over it. Supreme in time and space, you hold your trusting children Secure in your embrace. So, so that's the second thing I think we can, we can grasp here about this rage of the nations. Rage is promised for Christians. Rage is predestined. And point number three, just to keep my alliteration going with the R's and the P's. Rage is pre, pre, uh, promised. Rage is predestined. How about rage is prayer necessitating? Rage is prayer necessitating if if that's man if that's how we should understand or interpret the the the, the rage of nations that, that it's promised and it's somehow it's predestined by god what should we then do when it actually comes well these christians show us i think we need to pray you know it's very significant that the first thing these christians do here is is pray they will pray all the way through the, the book of Acts. It's just this priority of prayer for these Christians. I do pray, Christian, that prayer is a priority for you. Man, it was for these Christians here, just praying all the time. And, and listen, it wasn't just praying by themselves. No, they, they have a priority of corporate gathered prayer, gathering with other believers and calling out together to God. And man, that, that, that's what they do here. The first thing they do in this persecution is they pray together. They don't for, first convene some church council and, and discuss persecution. They don't form some pers uh, church persecution committee and, and try to come up with, with a plan. They, they, they drop to their knees and they, and they pray. And catch this. Even though they know that God is sovereign over their persecution. They still pray. Many people today will say, if God is sovereign over all things, why should I pray? God's just going to do what God wants to do. If He's sovereign, it doesn't matter 
whether or not I pray. But that, that's just a faulty view of God's sovereignty. Yes, God is sovereign. He has ordained, established all things before the foundation of the world, His eternal plan. And God is now working to fulfill His eternal plan. Nothing ultimately happening outside of God's eternal plan. But here's the thing. God has ordained to fulfill His plan through the prayers of His people. God wants to do things in this world and He stirs up His people to pray. And God then works through the prayers of His people to accomplish His eternal plan on this planet. A.W. Pink wrote a book on the sovereignty of God. If you struggle... Right now, you're sitting here and you're struggling with this idea of God's sovereignty over all things. I understand. And I would highly encourage you to read A.W. Pink's book, The Sovereignty of God. In two chapters, you will be on your knees worshiping an all-sovereign, all-powerful God. And and A.W. Pink interacts with this thing about God's sovereignty and prayer. And, And he says this. He says, we should say with emphasis that prayer is not intended to change God's purpose or to change God's eternal plan, nor is prayer intended to move God to form fresh purposes or a fresh eternal plan. God has decreed that certain events shall come to pass through the means He has appointed for their accomplishment. God has decreed the means as well as the end, and the prayers of God's people are among the means through which God exercises His decrees. So yes, God is sovereign, even over persecution. So much comfort in that, and yes, we should pray when we are persecuted and God works through our prayers to accomplish His eternal plan. And these Christians, they they know that God is sovereign and, and they pray. But please notice what they pray for. You know, many people, if put in the same situation, threatened, warned to stop preaching Christ, well, we'd ask for safety from these enemies. Or we might ask that God would remove these enemies. But these Christians didn't pray for any of that stuff. No, what did they pray for? They prayed for boldness to continue in the face of these enemies. You look at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant jesus man that is amazing step into that prayer i mean consider their situation and here they are would you please grant O sovereign lord that we might continue to speak your word with boldness in the very face of of this rage and let me ask you, Christians, let me ask you, you life groups in, in our church, how often have you prayed for boldness? 
You know, we, we, we may pray for lots of things. I hope we do. Praying for God's safety or praying for God's protection, praying for God's direction. But, but please hear me on this. So much of what the devil does in this world, so much of the rage, so much of the persecution that he wants to stir up, it is designed to intimidate. It is designed to make us fearful, cause us to, to hide. Play it safe. Stay in our homes. Stay silent about Christ. And we must pray for boldness. These Christians did. And they got it. If you look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Just stop and picture it. The place where they were was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled initially back in Acts 2 with the Holy Spirit. But I've said before, believers can then be filled more and more with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now empowering you to do different things. They're filled with the Holy Spirit again here. And they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And man, wouldn't you just love it if God would do something like that for you in your prayer life? No, I mean, my word, you're on your knees every morning. You're praying for this. You're praying for that. And God then, just to let you know he heard you and he will answer, he just shakes your house a little bit. <laughs> okay, thanks, God. I, I trust that you got that. And man, God probably did that here because these Christians really needed his assurance. They were probably terrified to some degree by these threats and God's shaking of his house gives them confidence that he heard and he will answer their prayers there was a man John Chrysostom preaching on this passage in AD 400 and he said the whole place was shaken and that left them all the more unshaken confident that God was with them. So that's the third thing here. Rage is promised. Rage is predestined. Rage is prayer necessitating. And one final thing, point four, rage is passing. Rage is passing. Listen, Jesus on the cross, man, he, he tasted the rage of nations like no other human in order that you might be saved. Man, if you will just turn from your sin in repentance and you will cling to Christ and follow Christ in faith, God saves you from his own wrath against your sin. Jesus, he, 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 he stepped in and took the wrath you deserve in order that you might have the eternal blessing he deserves. But man, here's the thing about this rage Jesus suffered on the cross. It was just a passing rage. It was just temporary. Fleeting, momentary. You remember Psalm 2, which, which these Christians quoted here? All these forces that would one day rage against God's Messiah? Well, I want you to hear the second half of Psalm 2. You know what God thinks about all this rage that people were going to bring against Jesus Christ? Listen to it. Here's David's prophecy in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
He who sits in the heavens laughs. <laughs> he laughs. He laughs. And the Lord then holds them. All the people who raged against Christ, the Lord holds them in derision. Then God will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That first part of Psalm 2 might have been fulfilled in the crucifixion of Christ, but that second part of Psalm 2 is fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ. All of this rage came against Christ, the Gentiles, the Jews, the rulers, the kings, taking counsel together, setting themselves together against Christ, killing Christ. But what did God the Father think about all that rage? Psalm 2 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. And God then spoke to all those kings and rulers who had raged against Christ. As for me, I have set my king on, on, on Zion, my holy hill. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Acts 13 says that that was fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus. It was on that day in the resurrection of Christ when God looked at Jesus and said, Today I have begotten you. I have raised you, Jesus, from the dead. I have lifted you up out of all of the rage of this life. God promised right there that the rage, it would be there. But it would be a passing rage, temporary, fleeting, momentary. Here's the beautiful thing now for everyone who takes refuge in Christ. Your rage, anything that comes against you, is a passing, temporary, fleeting rage. Because Jesus Christ himself will one day come back and lift all of his people up out of the rage of this life. Resurrected bodies like Christ, you will never taste another bit of rage again in all of eternity. Martin Luther's hymn, Satan's craft and power are great. He is armed with cruel hate, but he does not operate outside of God's control. And we, hidden in Christ, by faith, his rage we can endure. So man, may God help us to think biblically about the rage of nations. It's promised, it's predestined, it is passing. When we hit, we're hit with it, let's pray. Let's pray. And may God help us to stand and continue to speak his word with all boldness. Lord God, you are good, 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 that you would even talk to us about persecution, that you would be honest with us about persecution, that it will come against Christians. And it is so comforting to know that it is not outside of your sovereign control. We don't understand all of that, Lord. We just humbly admit it. But we do bow to what your word says. You are sovereign over all things, creator of all things, ultimate controller of all things, nothing happening outside of your sovereign will. 
We bless your holy name for it. Cause us to think well when we see persecution or taste it or, or hear of it. And Father, grant us boldness. Fill us with your spirit to continue to preach your word. In the name of Jesus, amen.